Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I am your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today, we have a QA. and a All right, we got a lot of questions from Facebook here that we're going to go over from the last week and this week, so... Let's get, dive in. get right into it. We got one from Brian Jeff Atkins. It says, I got a question about hair loss. I am a mid 30 year old male and just started getting in shape this past year. I have lost 25 pounds to date, develop muscle and feel great. However, however, I have noticed hair loss thinning that has started once I started this journey. Any advice on what drove this to start and maybe may something to do to reverse it? Really hard to say because uh, I just didn't, I'm not as that's not my thing. I'm not a specialist in hair, um, but there's a few things to, to kind of take note of. I think it's it's a valuable question just so I can like throw some ideas at you, and if some of them apply, great. If some of them get you to explore, study, further reading, because I haven't gone that extensively into some of these topics, then great. Um, first thing to remember is that uh, well, number one, this could be coincidental. So like. You're, you might just be experiencing baldness at age 35 because that's just when your time was, you know, and it just happens to be simultaneously happening when you're in your fitness journey, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the case, then it's just a coincidence, and there's really not much that you can look into for this or read into about it. Um, the second thing is it's uh, baldness and hair is very genetic. So, for example, there's certain people who – um, I mean, if we take a group of 30 year old men, 10 different men, the, the amount of those men who will have a full beard at that age versus a partial beard at that age is varied. Mm. Some men will have a partial beard and they don't get a full beard until they're 30. Some men, like I had a full mustache and everything at 18. No wow. idea why. None of my friends did, but I just had thick ass facial hair. My parents, well, my dad, had thick ass facial hair and that's just how it is. Um, when I go to the barber, he, every time it's like hard for them to shave my neck and everything. Cause my hair is so thick that I like bleed and get cut super easily. Um, it's genetic, you know? Yep. Um, so a lot of it depends on that. Now, one thing to think about, cause have you ever heard that myth? Uh, well now I'm saying it's a myth. I just found out it was a myth cause I looked into it, but your hair, like if you're, if your mom's dad is bald, that's like where you get your hair genes from is your mom's father. And then you're likely to be bald. Have you heard that? Uh, have not. No. So that makes sense though. Yeah. That's a very, very common thing said is like, basically your, your hair takes after your mom's dad. Um, it's not true. I looked into it. What there is a hair genetic component that does come from your mom's side. And I believe it's more along the lines of like color, um, and thickness, stuff like that. But, Baldness is, uh, I want to say it's it's not, it's equally from both parents. It's very much just so a genetic thing. It's just going to, it's going to happen to you or it's not kind of yeah. thing. Um, which I don't even know if that other one, because I was like really reading into it because I was arguing, I think I was debating with Shannon about this, but I've, I found that that was kind of a myth. However, the other part didn't really make sense to me either because if you look at like me and my brother, for example, my brother had like thick, curly, dark brown hair. He had like a fro yeah. when he combed out. My dad had the same thing. I had blonde, straight hair. Yeah. Completely different. So I don't know how true it is. But the point is, is like, you know, it is or it isn't going to happen. My dad is bald. I'm not having any baldness. 
um, yet, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. Um, but careful what you say. Yeah. I think the, the main point I'm trying to say here is it's very much so genetic. Now there are some factors with supplementation and or hormone replacement therapy. Um, actually not even hormone replacement therapy, steroids, because it's DMT that causes this. But, um, essentially, uh, there is, uh, a, a derivative of testosterone that can be taken via drug form that's very common in bodybuilding and stuff like that, that can create hair loss. But it only creates hair loss in certain people. And the reason it creates hair loss in certain people is because it affects the follicles on your face and on your head. Mm. So a lot of times what happens, and it's very, very weird because the way that this affects your hair follicles is it makes hair fall out on top and it makes hair grow thicker and longer on your face. Mm. So a lot of guys who are taking certain steroids that have these elevated levels of this specific derivative of testosterone. And I'm not a hormone expert, but I have learned enough about this. Uh, I want to say it's DMT. It's not DHT. It's one of them. Look, you guys can look up testosterone and hair loss and you'll see exactly what it is. You'll see the long version of that abbreviated term. Um, but that's why a lot of the people taking that, they go bald and they have extremely thick beards. Like it's just, that's what happens. But creatine monohydrate can increase... DMT. I think DHT is a drug. I thought DMT was a drug, but I don't know. Maybe DMT is a drug. Yeah. Can you look it up real quick? Yeah. Like testosterone and then DHT or DMT. Um, but creatine can elevate those levels as well. And DHT blocking? Yep. There you go. Yeah. So it's DHT. So DMT is probably a drug. Yeah. Um, Very strong. Don't take that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> DHT uh, can be increased via creatine monohydrate in certain people. And this is very genetically, it's a genetic component too. So they've done a lot of studies on, not a lot of studies, but they've done some studies on this. They had a study on rugby players that did show hair loss from creatine monohydrate supplementation, but they've also had uh, no hair loss on average in a mixed population. So if you look at that, I don't know, have you ever met a rugby player, like a legit rugby player? Um, no. They're about as manly as it comes. Yeah. I mean, they're, I trained a few of them when I was working at the gym. I mean, they're just massive men who are very burly and you have oh, yeah. to be or else yeah. you're just going to get trampled. So in my mind, the likelihood of people making it to the top in rugby, there's a good chance that they're jacked and already have high testosterone levels, very, which yeah. means supplementing with creatine monohydrate might elevate DMT. DH. DHT too high to where they start to see that that pattern, male pattern baldness, right? Whereas everyday people, I've been taking creatine for almost 10 years straight. I don't have any baldness. So like there's certain people that it's going to happen to, certain people it's not. Um, there's not enough research showing that creatine causes hair loss. But what I would say is this, if you're an individual who is taking some kind of performance enhancement drugs, DMT, DHT, DMT is stuck in my head. Dehydrate to testosterone. Okay. Um, what is DMT? DMT is like one of the huge... Uh, is that like a psychedelic or yeah, is that... Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. That's like... Uh, Rogan's talked about that, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Hallucinogenic type of... Tri- I can't say that word. Tri- trampamine drug. Anyway. Yeah. Um, it's probably similar to... Uh, psilocybin. Psilocybin. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I think that if you are an individual taking performance enhancement drugs and DHT is increasing, then you may have added to it by taking creatine monohydrate. It could have been just the DHT. Um, Also, this might be hard, but when you started seeing baldness on your head, did you notice that your facial hair was growing quicker and quicker? Yeah. Maybe if you can pinpoint that. Probably hard to 
reflect back and for see sure. that. But um, that's the only thing, like, in training and nutrition-wise, that's the only thing that has been shown to really cause that outside of day-to-day stress. Yeah. So there's even a uh, – I don't know what the right word would be for this, but um, there is something that happens inside of your uh, – I think it's a neuro – transmitter chemical or something like that but um the reason people get gray hairs sooner in life is and it's actually you know people say like oh it's like stress hair or whatever there's actually a a correlation there that stress increases a certain type of hormone in your brain or your body and actually does cause hair follicles to change color so the only other thing i could think of that would affect this would be just overall stress so if you started a diet you've been dieting too long and you work a crazy job you did it the wrong way whatever it may be Maybe, but at that point, we're, we're really reaching. Um, I think it's probably coincidental unless you're supplementing with some kind of uh, steroid or performance enhancement drug, hormone replacement therapy of some sort, and or on top of that, creatine monohydrate, maybe. Um, but I don't want people to freak out and be like, holy shit, you've been recommending creatine. It's going to make me bald. Probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think it's non-existent in women because they don't have high enough levels of DHT anyway. And most guys don't have high enough levels for that to happen yeah. as well unless you're supplementing with PEDs, performance yeah. enhancement drugs. So. For but sure, if, yeah. There's If you're supplementing with steroids, you don't need creatine, yeah. just by the way. It's <laughs> <is> probably good. <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of like DHT like supplements. Yeah. Like shampoos and all that. Oh, well. DH, uh, DHT blocking shampoos and stuff. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Crazy. It's a whole market. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. We'll go to the next question. Um, This one is from Carmen Spitzer. It says, I don't even know what this is called. Erythritol. Erythritol. Okay, so 100 grams of erythritol has 100 grams carbs and zero calories. It's obvious that you track those carbs, isn't it? We, as in Cody's followers, track macros and in the end, macros dictate the calorie amount. So I, I'm sure I won't ever need this information, but I want to know something. Actually, I need to know this. Isn't this a marketing thing as well? These carbs can't be quote unquote nothing, because it should be 100 grams erythrol, 100 grams of carbs, and 400 calories. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um. I mean, there's a lot of thoughts here. There's a few things. Number one, um, I was looking at my Rockstar can to see if that had erythritol in it, but it has sucralose. So this isn't, I'm not 100% certain on this, but I believe part of the reason why erythritol is even on here showing a gram of carb versus, because uh, even like if you look at this, this Rockstar can, it says one gram of carb, but it says zero sugar and included zero added sugars. But there's no one gram of sucralose or one gram of anything else. And I think the reason for that is because sucralose, aspartame, those things has been in the industry for so long. Erythritol is a pretty recent sweetener. It's artificial sweetener that's pretty new. And therefore, I think they have, to, I think there's like regulations on having to actually put it on the label. Um, the other thing to re- realize here is, you know, net carbs came, this is a related topic. Net carbs is with something similar where it would say, um, it has zero car- calories, but it has five grams of carbs because it had five grams of fiber. So it was five, it was zero net carbs, five total carbs, zero calories. The reason they were saying that is because fiber passes through your body. You don't fully digest it. It actually just works as something to push through depending on the type of fiber you have. Um, and so they were like, oh, these calories don't count. Well, that's actually inaccurate as well, which is why not many food labels use 
net carbs anymore because it was just a marketing ploy to try to get people to buy something because they would see like, oh, that actually has zero grams carbs. It's awesome. Um, but the reality is, is, is even though it is fiber and it's most likely just going to pass you, there are things that happen in your body thermogenically speaking, me- metabolically speaking, because fiber comes in, it's still calories. So that doesn't count, but they're kind of approaching it the same way as that. However, the, the thing is, this is erythritol in any artificial sweetener doesn't elevate blood glucose or your body temperature enough to give it a caloric value. So it may be one gram of carb because it is literally a carb. It has to identify as something, but it's not enough to spike your uh, your metabolic system or your thermogenetics, like your actual heart rate because, or I'm sorry, uh, body temperature, heat. So if we look at what calories are, they're actually the amount of energy required to increase your body temperature, I believe one Celsius. We don't ever talk about this because it's useless information, but that's what defines a calorie. So blank calories is... That's, they're measured that way because it's what is required to increase body temperature mm. through food, right? Um, erythritol doesn't have the power to do so, but it is still measured, right? So that's why it says zero calories and it says that. Now, the whole 100 grams of erythritol equals 100 grams of carbs equals 400, 400 calories. Math equation, yes, that's correct because four calories per gram. So 100 times four is 400 calories. However, it doesn't make – it's not that way because a few things. One, like I said – it's a fraction of what a gram of carb is, knowing that it's not going to elevate. That's the whole point of it. They create it as a way to not elevate, so you're not consuming calories by consuming it, but they still have to label it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't work that way. The other thing is, is in order to consume 100 grams of erythritol, good Lord, you would have to... So like, for example, this one uses sucralose, but I know some of the Monsters energy drinks, they use erythritol. There's like a can. There's one gram of erythritol, maybe two which means you're drinking 50 to 100 cans of Monster. Obviously, you would die from caffeine consumption before you get to 100 grams. But, okay, a stick of gum has usually like 0.5 grams of erythritol because it's a little stick of gum. So, what, you're going to chew 200 sticks of gum today to get that number? That probably would have an effect on your body temperature. (laughs) You know what I mean? At that point, calories probably (laughs) would count. But my point is is at, at which point that or any other artificial sweetener would count as a caloric consumption you are overdoing artificial sweeteners. You're going to be suffering from severe bloating and digestive issues, gas, way before you reach 100 grams of erythritol. That's just absurd. Yeah. So I think this is where um, you're splitting hairs. It's a question that is, it's a valid question. It makes sense and it's a good question. But it's also one of those ones where I'm like, hey, here's the answer, but you shouldn't be even worrying about yeah. this. Like you're getting into the weeds. You're missing the forest of the trees. It's just. You're going to need uh, jaw surgery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, you're gonna break your job before you hit 100 grams of fucking erythritol. Wow. Um, but yeah, so like this is where it gets it gets so hard because you know it's there's like these debates of uh, calories are all that matters, and then there's people that are like calories don't matter. It's it's health and it's all these other things, and then there's people that are like you know calories are calories. It doesn't matter where they're coming from. All of them are wrong because all of them are black and white answers. Calories are calories from a thermogenetic perspective. So 100 grams or 100 calories is 100 calories. It's going to spike your body temperature 100 calories no matter what. However, 100 grams of protein is going to digest, absorb, and have a thermogenic effect that is different than 100 grams of carbs or 100 grams of fat. All of them have different pathways of storing. All of them have different places to be stored. All of them have different utilization forms. So we really can't say that. And then on top of that, it might be 100 grams of carbs, but you could have 100 grams of carbs that has zero fiber and 
next to zero vitamins and minerals, and you're going to have 100 grams carbs that has a ton of fiber and a ton of vitamins and minerals. That one's going to be more satiating for your body's health and for your body's satiation. There's more fiber. It's more filling. It's more voluminous. There's more vitamins and minerals that you need. Mm -hmm. So we can't say calories are calories. However, calories are the most important thing that counts when it comes to weight loss. So it's just not black and white. You can't go down that path of just saying, this is the thing. This is the only thing that matters. And with erythritol, it's the same way. It's like, yes, that's true. At a certain point, the calories do count, but at which point they count, you're just so far beyond what you should be consuming anyway that it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. You know, it's, it's getting to it's an pointless. Un- yeah, and it's getting to an unhealthy point. Yeah. So, and actually, I'll add one more thing real quick. Mm-hmm. So, this Rockstar has 25 calories, even though it says zero sugar. So, for a long time, yeah, I would just think, oh, it's a zero calorie drink, right? I don't track my Rockstars. Why? Because I have the same amount of Rockstars every single day, right? I don't track my Stevia. I have a spoonful of Stevia with my one cup of coffee in the morning. I don't track that. There's you a- have the same amount of Rockstars every single day. Wow. If not three, two. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like two to three. Yep. And I have one cup of coffee, maybe a cup and a half in the morning. And I always put a tablespoon of stevia in there. That has some caloric content. Yeah. Apparently this has a little bit of calories. But the point is, is if I never change that variable, I don't need to track it. You know, if I just had Rockstars every once in a while, or if I like the Rockstar that had a little bit of sugar in it, whatever, track it. You know, something like olive oil. I use olive oil almost every day to cook, but I don't always use it. And I use different amounts. And there's a good caloric punch with it i need to track that um fish oil i take that every day pretty much but i take four to six pills so it kind of depends on my macros for the day and there's a caloric punch with it so my point is is there's certain things that are like this like yes this technically has 25 calories but it's from artificial sweeteners so it's like it counts but it kind of doesn't and if i'm consuming it every single day what's the point yeah it just adds to the things i have to track when it's not going to change you know if i cut 100 calories to lose more weight i'm still gonna have the same fucking rock stars just leave them and just yeah. don't track it. Um, an unchanged variable doesn't affect progress if it continues to be unchanged. Hmm. In other words. Yeah. It's a really good point. You know, um, collagen's the same way. Yeah. Somebody's like, oh, should I track, track my collagen? Do you have it every single day with coffee? Yeah. Then don't worry about it. Fuck it. Touche. All right, cool. Let's go on to the next one here is from Mogs360. It says, any training tips to help to lose Lose fat and muscle mass. I hate comments such such as, you have big arms, bro. I struggle with sticking to a calorie deficit due to a binge eating. I weight weight train four times a week with an upper-lower split and try and walk as much possible about 10K steps a day. But I was hoping there is a more optimal way of training to stop putting size on. Mm. I hate that question. Uh, I, I feel for you. I just hate it because, like, I never want to lose muscle mass. You know, I don't think people should want to. Um, Here's what I would say. This isn't necessarily you, but I've worked with quite a few people at this point. And there's been a lot of people over the years who have come to this question. Um, Way less than people who want to put on muscle. But obviously, there's I've had this question many times. And a lot of times, and again, I don't know if this is you because I don't know what you look like uh, physique-wise, but... There has been a lot of times where people think, like I see this with women and their legs a lot. They're like, oh, I just put on muscle too easily on my legs. I'm like, no, you store fat on your legs. Your legs are really strong and have a lot of muscle, but you don't build muscle that quick. You just don't. Like nobody does. So if you're in a deficit and you fall off and you're struggling because you keep putting muscle on, 
you're not putting muscle on. You store fat in those areas most easily. Your body preferentially stores fat in that area. For what reason? I have no idea. That's mm. genetically determined. So um, our body's genetic makeup kind of determines where we store fat. There's some like people in research that will say like you'll store more body fat around your stomach if, if you have higher cortisol levels and stress levels. I don't know if that's completely true because there's a lot of guys who store their fat there and they're not stressed out at all. It's just certain people store fat in certain areas. So with women, when they sit with their legs, I'm like, no, you have more muscle on your legs than anywhere else in your body, but that's also where you preferentially store fat. So what's happening is when you fall off your diet, when you're gaining body fat, you're not losing weight, your legs do get bigger. It's not muscle. It's fat over the muscle you have, so it feels like it's bigger. But if you got really lean, it wouldn't be that way. Um, And I can almost guarantee that with 90% of the people that have this question. Um, if you're in a deficit, most of the time, you're not going to be putting on muscle, you know? So, uh, now in the rare case that it, that is happening, I would drop my training volume to like 25% of what I was doing to build muscle, you know? So, um, I know the studies came out, said one eighth of your training volume will maintain the muscle mass you have. It was an eight week study, maybe 12. It wasn't long enough for me to be like, that's a good answer. And I don't think they were using people in the study that were like advanced lifters, which I think it's always a smaller fraction when we consider the more experience you have. Even in the reverse for gains, like how fast you can build muscle, how fast you can gain strength, smaller the better you get at lifting. So what I would say is if you were doing 20 sets per muscle group per week to build that muscle, you're going to drop that down to what that's five sets per muscle group per week. You're training two or three days a week. It's not going to feel like much, but if you really don't want to build muscle, that's the answer. You can maintain the muscle you have with that amount. And if you really wanted to lose muscle, you would do even less. But I would say 25% to 50% is probably a safe bet. Just to lower your training volume and then just work on figuring out a way to adhere to the diet. You might need to hire a coach because accountability is more powerful than anybody likes to admit. But most likely you are storing fat on top of the muscle you already have and it's giving you that perspective on how you feel. Yeah. Um, There's also, I talked about this in the placebo uh, podcast, there was a study on shaming yourself and guilt. So essentially they took people and it was like, so if you, if you were going to the gym as a form of punishment, like if you ate a cupcake last night and you were like, fuck, I need to go do cardio. This is going to suck. Like I need to punish myself kind of thing. You know, you're going to hate every fucking minute of it Yeah, because that's the mindset you go into. Um, if you fell off your diet and it wasn't planned or you feel like you cheated on your diet, the individuals who had that guilty or shameful feeling about what they did, they ended up perceiving their body as overweight, out of shape, feeling lethargic, feeling more bloated, even if physically and physiologically that wasn't the case. Yeah. Whereas somebody who has more flexibility in their diet and can fit in the things, isn't necessarily binging or isn't worried about, like, oh, I had a cupcake last night, but I was worth every bite, big deal, it's not the end of the world they're going to actually remain and feel leaner because they have that perspective on things. Mm. So very much tied to the placebo effect in the sense of what you believe is going to happen and be true. Um, so with that being said, I think working on your the mindset, you know, you, you mentioned binging, like before you dive into a diet and try to go hard or anything, maybe you drop your training volume a little bit and you focus on the, the mental component of this. Focus on the psychology of dieting, your relationship with food and cardio and training because that alone is going to carry you significantly further yeah a little more guidance too yeah 
want to take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast and shout out our sponsor, Legion Athletics, the world's number one best-selling brand of all natural sports supplements. Guys, if you're listening to this, you probably take supplements. I'm assuming you take a whey protein. You probably have some pre-workout. If you're really focused on health, you might take a, a multivitamin, a green drink, a fish oil, whatever it is. Legion probably has it. And they are going to be using science-backed ingredients. Everything is actually dosed effectively and clinically proven. Everything is naturally sweet, sweetened and flavored. Everything is lab-tested, made in the U.S., and you're going to get a money-back guarantee. So the reason I'm bringing this up is not only because they're a podcast sponsor, but I truly value the team at Legion, and I truly value what they are doing in the supplement space. And one of the things that is really frustrating for a lot of people that come to us is trying to find a brand where they can actually get quality supplements and they can trust the result that's going to come from them. Most people just search Amazon for the best result they can find, and they trust Amazon reviewers. And don't get me wrong. If something has a lot of stars and good reviews, that's awesome. But you can also pay people to leave reviews. So go with a company that you can trust that is backed up not only by science and actual researchers in the lab doing things, but coaches like myself who have tons of experience and use the stuff on a regular basis. So guys, stop wasting money. Stop searching and searching and searching for the best product out there and just jump on Legion Athletics. They are the best and I promise you that. You can head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom and save 20% on your first order and start earning points so you can get kickbacks on future orders and eventually free products. So one more time, that's buylegion.com slash boom boom. Without any further ado, let's get back into the podcast. Cool. Uh, let's move on to the one from, oh, this is from Anonymous. It says, I am doing the female physique program, which is five days a week plus jogging or jogging two or three miles the other two days. Do you think this is too much exercise? Even though my jogging is very slow, I wonder if it's too much just altogether. I don't enjoy days off as I really crave my morning workouts. It's a way to clear my head and start my day. Any help? Thank you. I mean, the simple answer is you, you would know. You know what I mean? Like you would feel taxed. You would feel low energy. You would feel disturbances in your sleep. You would feel hungry and craving all the time. You would feel stressed. Your joints and your muscles wouldn't be recovering well enough if it was too much. Now, my from what I know, because I obviously I created that program. Yeah. The female physique program is not it's not uh, extremely neurologically taxing. So it's more volume than a four-day strength split, but it's not as neurologically taxing. So I don't think it's too much at all. If you were doing four, five days a week of powerlifting, you know, maybe, but it's a physique program. It's a bodybuilding program. It's not as taxing generally. Now, this is where I think like four days of lifting super, super heavy and doing like low rep strength work, it can be ta really taxing neurologically. And I would say six days of bodybuilding can be really taxing muscularly and eventually neurologically because you're doing so much volume. So you're kind of in the middle. That's why I like five days a week for physique style stuff. It's, it's a good balance of doing plenty to get results, but not too much where you're burning out. Um, and the rest of it, I can't even tell you because I built that program knowing, and you got to remember, like when you're building programs, you always have to remember that people online could, you know, add extra things at the end of this. They could take this a little too far. They could be doing cardio on top of this because I can't control them completely. Yeah. I can give advice in the group and when they DM me in the app and yep. I can control the program as much as I can, but you never know. So I always make sure that they're not overboard. So I don't see anything wrong with the program or what you're doing. Um, but ultimately you got to make that decision. Cause if you, if we were having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you were asking me this, I'd be like, all right, well, what's your weight, height, age, and how many calories you're consuming? 
right? Where are your macros within those calories? How many hours of sleep are you getting? Do you have a stressful job? Do you have kids? Do you care for those kids or do you have daycare? So I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's really, really hard if I don't get to sit down and have a conversation with you. You know, that's why when we work with clients, we can ask a million other questions. Um, but ultimately, you got to track your own biofeedback. You got to look at how you're feeling personally, rate your strength, performance, recovery, stress, sleep, all those kind of things, your motivation to train. And if it's dropping at a rate that's making you nervous, then you either A, need to plan deloads because if it's fine for four weeks and then every fifth week you feel like shit, just plan a deload every fourth week. Yeah. Or if you're fine, you can just keep going. You, you're not doing too much harm, you know? If you're not in a calorie deficit, it obviously changes the game too. So totally. very individual. Cool. All right, that's good. We will move on to the next one from... Kathy Siley. Uh, can you suggest alternative exercises to sled pushes and pulls? I love doing them, but my gym does not have a sled. You're going to love me, but hate me for this. Plate pushes. Mm. Probably the... Do you, did you ever do plate pushes? Oh, yeah. They're the worst. Yeah. Dude, I forgot about those. We might have to do them here. We did them even though <laughs> we had a sled. Yeah. Um, so if you take a metal plate, um, if you don't... So, like, there's a few options here. If you have turf, ideal... If you have rubber, <laughs> it's going to be a slow push, uh, but it still should move on rubber. If you have, if you're in a public gym and there's like a basketball court or something like that, you can lay a towel down and put the 45 plate on the towel. But what you're doing is getting in bear crawl position as if you're pushing like a really low sled. You're going to grab the edge of the plate. And you just push. Mm. So you're like in a crawl position, just pushing it forward. Um, and it works exactly like a prowler or a, uh, a sled push, really. Um, and a prowler, for those listening who don't know, prowler is a sled. It's just that there's a high bar and there's a low bar on the other side. Um, now, like, the sled we have is uh, high bars on both sides. And the reason for that is because it's one that you can also pull. So you can kind of get both in one. Um, if I had it my way, I would have a prowler here, and then I would have a smaller sled because there's ones that you can only pull, mm. and it's much smaller. Mm. Um, I like those better, but I did it for space convenience, you know, for sure, two in one. Um, but plate pushes will work. Uh, if you're doing this as a finisher to a workout, plate pushes are probably your best bet. Um, if you're doing this for a warm-up into a workout, which Backward sled drags are amazing for leg day warm-ups, um, really good for knee health, really good for firing muscles and joints, activating joints and moving joints through full range of motion, um, actually getting your knees to go over your toes a little bit, so getting better range of motion out of your knees and your ankles, um, and you can load it up without it really doing too much damage because there's no eccentric, uh, but if you don't have a sled that you can drag backwards, you can do uh, what are called backwards duck walks, oh, yeah. so a duck walk is like a... A squat walk basically you're kind of like squatting down you're walking really low and letting your knees really glide over your toes every step you can do that in the reverse you can just do it backwards and that's a great option for uh warming up for a leg day yeah. instead of a sled um there's not any other good ones to be honest with you. i mean you can do i mean depends like if you're doing it for like high intensity cardio you jump on like an elliptical or an assault bike it's nothing like a sled, but if you're doing it for the purpose of burning calories, you can get the same heart rate effect from it, right? Um, I think it just—it kind of just depends what you're doing the sled for. I think if you're really trying to mimic it as a finisher, plate pushes are probably your best bet. If you're trying to do it as a warm-up, backwards duck walks are the best bet. If you're trying to do it for a muscle growth effect, you can just easily do walking lunges or squats or anything like that that's quad dominant. Um, if you're doing it for a cardio effect, 
you can choose any other cardio machine that doesn't have an eccentric component on the joint. So anything but running, yeah. essentially. Assault bike, elliptical, rower, stuff like that. Um, it's not going to be the exact same mechanics on your legs, but it is going to create the same cardiovascular effect without putting a lot of eccentric load, so downward negative tension on the joints. Totally. But, yeah. Good stuff. All right, we got a couple more here. We got one. Oh, another one from Kathy Sally. It says, I'm thinking about buying a multi-grip barbell as I need to be careful with my shoulders. I'm 55 and have rotator cuff surgery. I see bars that have grips that run perpendicular to the edge of the bar and ones that have more angled. Is this is one better than the other? Okay, so she's shopping for barbells and she's... Repeat that. She's doing, she sees ones that are. She's trying to buy a multi-grip barbell as okay. I need to be careful with my shoulder. She's has a rotator cuff surgery. Uh, 55. I see that bars run, per, have grips that run perpendicular to the edge of the bar and ones that have more angled. Is there yeah. one better than the other? Um, no. If I had to choose one, I would go with perpendicular, like just straight grip. Um, but the best bars tend to have both. So what you'll see is like they have three different grips on each side. So like yeah. you look at ours, it's yep. got the straight neutral grip on the wide and then a straight neutral grip on the mid and then the close one's actually angled. So the reason they do that is is typically when you start getting in really close, if I'm in a neutral grip, my shoulders start to roll forward a little bit. If I can turn my grip a little bit, it's just easier to flare my elbows out a little bit so I can ha- pull my shoulders down. If my elbows are touching my sides, it's just like a very unproductive postural position sure. um so that's the only reason like the multi-grip usually has a, a close grip with an angle for purposes of joint positions and those are usually the best bars you don't need it if you're doing it for shoulder health um you don't really want to be super wide on grip and you don't want to be super close so you'd probably be on that middle neutral grip one with the straight handle anyway all the time um but yeah, I would go with either. I mean, it really, I think we're splitting hairs here. But if you can get both, why not get both? Yeah. You know, not both bars, but like the bar with both types of grip, which most of them do. Totally. Yeah, I'm looking at ours right now. It's uh, the close ones, that angle. Um, and I want to say when you're in the position, your thumbs would be turned in. So your pinkies go out a little bit. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be really awkward. But yeah. Totally. All right. Next one comes from. Real quick, too. Yeah. You should look at a bamboo bar. If you have shoulder issues, oh, yeah. bamboo bars are really good. Uh, b- uh, b- uh, Didn't we? Use no, I'm, not, I'm sorry. Not a, not a bamboo bar. Bamboo bars are sick, and we did use that. Yeah. They're the ones that bend with like rubber bands on the back. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm thinking about is actually called the Cadillac bar, and it's by Kabuki, and it's uh, it's has just, all those bars in the middle. No, it's curved. Um, um, so the ones with all the bars in the middle is like what we're talking about. That's just like a neutral grip bar, but the Cadillac bar is just, it's like curved. So it's hard to explain and I don't even fully know the science behind it, but it's basically a bar that's curved like a banana and you can bench better. It allows you to get more range of motion, um, I believe, and keep your shoulders a little bit healthy. Um, Essentially a neutral grip bar bend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cadillac bar with a K. Yeah. It doesn't have a neutral grip though. It's a straight bar, right? But it's bent. This one has all the bars. Let me see. Oh, that's uh, okay. So they have another bar. Oh, that one's crazy. So that one's, I mean, that's pretty fucking dope too. That would be even better because that would do what you're asking for and some. Mm. Um, it's not called the Cadillac bar then. The Cadillac, or the one I'm thinking of is very. It's curved just like that. Yes, yeah, but a tri- it's a uh, tri trap bar. 
Nope, but that's sick too. <laughs> Kabuki's known for just creating oh. the craziest barbells. That's what they do. Gotcha. Um, and we have a really good interview with the owner of Kabuki Strength. Um, but uh, the bent bar is really nice, and then the Cadillac bar would be like an even more upgrade for gotcha. that. They're pricey. I mean, they're expensive, but they're like highly customized bars. So check out Kabuki Strength, though. You'll, that's where you're going to find the best barbells probably. Gotcha. For specialty bars. All right, uh, the next one I was saying comes from Heather Kerr. It says, recently started at a gym that has a circuit-style group training. I love the way I feel physically and mentally, but no, I won't gain much strength or reach aesthetic goals with this uh, type of training. How would you suggest I program in weightlifting if I do classes two days a week and strictly lift the other three? How would I suggest programming it, like structuring it? How would you suggest programming in weightlifting? Um, okay, three day so program. I'm going to assume when she means weightlifting, she doesn't actually mean weightlifting, weightlifting, like Olympic lifting, um, because she's doing group classes. She's probably not an Olympic lifter. Um, and the reason I said is because I'm not an Olympic lifting coach, so it would be hard for me to answer that question with a lot of value. Um, but how I would structure my programming would – I mean, it kind of depends on the class. So, you know, like what she didn't say – Orange Theory Fitness or anything like that, did you? Yeah, so circuit style. It kind of just depends. Uh, most likely, if I have three days, I'm doing full body or I'm doing upper lower than full body. Um, and I don't think you need to overcomplicate it. You know, I would program it almost the same as I would program somebody doing three days a week not going to a circuit training class. Because circuit training classes are done in such a way that after your first few weeks of doing it, you're no longer going to be sore. There's not really any progressive overload there. You're going at such a fast pace. You can't add more weights. Um, you're not going to do more reps. You can go longer. You can go longer, maybe, after yeah. a while. You yeah. don't, though. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I would say, like, class you know, is over. <laughs> yeah. Well, that and, like, you think about, like, if the classes are generally going to be, like, 30 to 60-second intervals, whenever you do 30 seconds, you're going to get, let's say, 20 reps, and we do 60 seconds, maybe you get 40. Um, neither of one of those is going to produce a lot of hypertrophy, so we're not going to get a lot of soreness. Neither one of those produces much strength, so we're not going to get a lot of neurological fatigue. Um, and after a few weeks, you probably adapt, and you're probably maxing out what you can do in 30 seconds. It's a cardiovascular ad adaptation, so you're yeah. going to get there pretty quickly. So if you've been doing that for a while, I'm not really worried about you getting sore from that anymore. It's just a class that you're doing movement, and you're burning calories, which yeah. is not a bad thing. If you're going through full ranges of motion, that's good for your joints. It's good for your muscles. It's good for flexibility. And you're burning calories, great. You know, after a while, you might not burn as many calories as you once did because you adapt to it. Um, but it's still great. So I'm going to program for you like I have any client with three days a week and they want blank. So if you're looking for strength and muscle, I'm going to program the same way. We're going to do a compound lift on each day. It's going to be in the one to five rep range. So we're going to maybe one to six heavy, get you building strength, lower rep, compound lift, probably bench squat and deadlift. Um, not in that order. And then some like accessory work to boost those compound lifts right after that in the six to eight rep range. And then I'm going to follow that with isolation and hypertrophy work all in the eight to 20 rep range. Yeah. Right. And so it's going to be a higher volume strength bodybuilding style program, just like I would program for anybody else. Um, usually when I'm programming three days a week for anybody else, I recommend going on walks, doing some kind of conditioning or cardiovascular work on the days in between. Anyway, you're just filling it with boot camp style circuit classes. Totally. So yeah, simple. Yeah. All right, uh, next one comes from Fabinine Midi. I'm not sure how to pronounce that correctly, but can a high-protein diet affect cholesterol? 
Cholesterol. Cholesterol. Can a high-protein diet affect cholesterol level and liver functions? Can taking creatine affect your lab results negatively and show a high creatine level? Um, So on your blood results, it's not creatine. It's creatine. Um, It's a different... It's a different thing. And yes, it can be affected by creatine slightly, um, but it's also affected by other things happening on in the kidney, even like high protein diet. So th- what I would say is this, like do your research on creatine levels. Um, it's not always a bad thing if they're high. It's, it's more likely a bad thing if they're high and you have pre-existing kidney issues. Just like we don't recommend people consuming a high protein diet if you already have pre-existing kidney dysfunction or disease. Um, but having a high protein diet is not going to cause kidney dysfunction mm. or kidney disease. They actually technically don't even fully know because there's been studies that go back and forth on uh, if a higher protein diet would create worse outcomes with somebody with kidney disease. It's just kind of one of those things where it's like, A, we don't want to risk it. B, we don't want to put people through a study who have kidney disease and risk their health. You know what I mean? It's like, what do you do really? Um, It's just kind of not worth it, you know, but, um, and I'm talking high protein. I'm talking like over a gram per pound, like getting into the high ranges, you know, um, or even a gram per pound. We usually recommend a lower protein intake, low to moderate protein intake for somebody with kidney dysfunction. And the same thing goes with creatine. You might not want to take creatine if you have kidney dysfunction, but I've had blood results that showed a high creatine level and there was nothing wrong with it. Cause it's like, oh, you're training, you have high protein, you're taking creatine. Okay, cool. Don't worry about it. It's not because you have anything else going on. Yeah. Um, so just do your research on that. Like, I'm not a doctor or physician, so I can't tell you yours should be high or low or moderate or if it's too high or too low or anything because you got to talk to your doctor about that. And you should talk to a specialist that does those kind of things. Um, but I will say it's not like a red flag. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, the cholesterol one's interesting in the liver. Um, short answer, No. Long answer, potentially because of what kid, or, uh, protein sources you're consuming. Mm. Um, so, for example, if eggs are your primary protein source, whole eggs have cholesterol in it, they're going to increase cholesterol levels. Um, the other thing to remember, too, is cholesterol, high cholesterol levels is actually a really poor uh, indicator of bad health. Like, they know this now. For a long time, it was like, oh, you don't want high cholesterol levels because it's associated with all these things. No, it's more of like a correlation and a coincidental thing because you can be really healthy and have higher co- uh, cholesterol levels. Um, if you're a male and you have really low cholesterol levels, you probably also have really low testosterone, which is going to create low sex drive, low motivation, bad memory. I mean, the list goes on. We know that we want higher testosterone levels as men. Um, cholesterol is a hormone in and itself in a way. So vitamin D and cholesterol are very similar in the sense that they actually convert into the hormone testosterone. They help that production of testosterone. So we don't want to neglect it, you know, and there's, there's so many reasons why whole eggs are super healthy. There's also unhealthy foods that have high cholesterol. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, you can't really, you know, this is where like a uh, polyunsaturated fats got a really bad rep for a while because there's some foods that are really high in polyunsaturated fats, like canola oil and things like that, that aren't great for you. Yeah. But there's also things like fish oil. Fish oil is polyunsaturated fat. It's amazing for you. So we can't classify PUFAs, what they call it, polyunsaturated fatty acids, as bad. We can say that these two in that category are bad, you know. Um, so short answer is, is really it's, it's no. It's like especially your liver. I mean your liver is not going to filtrate protein anyway. Um, if you consume so much protein that – other organs in your body start having to do some work to utilize it or dispose of it as nitrate and things like that, then potentially it could become an issue. But I'm talking, I'm 170 pounds, 100, 
actually like 173 to 75 pounds, I would be consuming 350 pounds of pro- or grams of protein per day to wow. start worrying about that shit. I only get remotely close to that. Yeah. My high days are 250, yeah. and that's way above what I need to consume. I just enjoy protein. I like meat. I like yogurt. I like eggs. Um, but like, if you're eating 0.8 to 1.5 grams, anywhere in there, you don't have to worry about this yeah. at all. Your body's going to utilize it for other things, and then your kidney's going to do the main job of filtrating it out, which it can do very easily without getting any issues. For sure. So Unless you have kidney disease yeah which i'm not giving you a recommendation that's a whole different yeah. ball game go see your doctor <laughs> all right we got one more here uh we will finish it off with one from kelly kelder it says ems training can it be something to use in addition to lifting or is it just another fad you're gonna have to google ems training okay i don't even know what that is and that's probably a sign right there i don't know what it is it's probably just a fad yeah EMS workout claimed to give you results in a third of the time. Probably bullshit. <laughs> During an EMS workout, you'll do... What does EMS stand for? You'll don a suit worn over light workout clothes fitted for... Electri- EMS stands for electro muscle stimulation. Oh, no. This is fucking ridiculous. Um, have you ever seen those, like, things where you put it... Like, it's like an ab belt, and you put it on your abs, and it's yeah. like... Yeah. So... No, <laughs> this is not, it's not at all. So this is where like they take one little piece of research and they go, oh, this thing can stimulate muscle activity. Muscle activity can lead to muscle growth. So if we stimulate the muscles, you know what I mean? Then it's like this whole thing. Um, you were doing this for your knee at PT. Yeah. In a way. You have the little electrical things. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or have you done that yet or is he not? No, no, no. Okay. Just blood restriction. Okay, so post-surgery you'll do this, right? They're going to put little, little like uh, electrical, things that are little pads with tape around and they stick them to like the different heads of your quads and they just stimulate them and you'll just see your muscles just go and just fire right this is not because like hey you just come here 30 minutes say you're gonna get jacked travis we're just gonna shock your muscles (laughs) (laughs) it's like hey you just had surgery and your muscles are literally not firing because you haven't moved them Mm -hmm. been on crutches so you literally have not fired your quad it's withering away we want to remind it how to shock itself right it's it's essentially like a, a form of activating something that has been forgotten. They do this with hormone replacement therapy as well. Sure. They put people on hormone replacement therapy, and then they also put them on something that stimulates the natural production. A lot of times people would say, like, well, why wouldn't you just do the natural? Like, do something to rejuvenate that natural. Well, it's not strong enough to do anything besides just remind your body that you can still do it yourself. Like, you still have a little bit of juice in there, right? Yeah. And it's, it's a healthy thing to have that activation every once in a while. But it's not going to raise your levels. Same thing with this. It's not going to get you a lot of hypertrophy. It's just going to remind your muscles that they, they know how to fire, and they're going to teach them that. And then once they start actually firing, then you can do other things with it. So um, it's fat. It's not worth your time. It's the same reason why the, the ab belt was on as seen on TV at 2 in the morning, and that's as far as it got because nobody got abs from that. You know what I mean? It's not, it's just not gonna, yeah, not worth it. Touche. It's a fad. So I hate There's that marketing answer. too. And just third of the time. <laughs> fuck out of here. All right. All right. That's well, a wrap guys. So, uh, as always, if you like the podcast, leave us a five star rating review, share this with a friend on your Instagram or anywhere else you feel like you should share it. And don't forget there's two places to ask us questions. You can jump in the Facebook group or you can ask us a question with the ask boom, boom forum, both of which are linked in the description of this podcast. Catch you next time.